from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm Zach Rosenblatt here with Daryl Slater. Um, the Giants lost again, as you guys all well know. They're 0-5 now heading into this week's game against the Washington football team. Um, I'm curious to see what, who slips up first in terms of calling them their old name. But <laughs> they are the Washington football team. And uh, But yeah, we'll... But before we get into you know looking ahead and, and all that stuff, I got to remind you guys to subscribe if you aren't already. We're on all the podcast apps. Leave us some reviews. Uh, leave us some comments, and we'll try and get to them on future episodes. But we'll start off by looking back at that Cowboys game a little bit. Uh, Giants very much had a chance to win that game. It, it was another. It was I think it's their third game this year. They had a chance to win or tie at the very end, and they couldn't pull it off. Um, as I ask every week, Daryl, like, what how'd you what you think at the end of that game? And after we talked to everybody, and now that we have a few days, like, what what were your thoughts after that game? And they and then when they fell to zero and five. Well, I mean, it's pretty apparent that the talent issues that they have on defense, and you kind of wrote about it earlier this week, not kind of you did uh, about you know some of the guys that were out there on the field for that last drive for the Cowboys, and then it just goes to show how how depleted the Giants are defensively in terms of not just guys who are injured or you know, guys uh, you know, who didn't work out for them like DeAndre Baker or whatever. But look, I mean, you did, they didn't draft well enough to even have um, quality depth at these positions. And uh, this, this is what happens. I think offensively, you know, Daniel Jones gets the ball back in a, in a tie game with a chance to, to go down the field and win the game with about 150 left. And uh, the drive just fizzles and, and he just doesn't, you know, it, you, you these things start to pile up and you wonder about him uh you know i know he's he's done it before and he did it in tampa last year and um but look uh, they, they got lucky in that game too to win to win as everyone remembers yeah. so yeah you, the questions continue to linger about him and, and certainly the questions continue to linger coming out of that game about um, just how far away this defense is talent-wise i think the coaching staff's done a pretty good job all things considered when you look at the names of the guys out there yeah, I mean, jumping off your point, like, so I, I wrote a story just about how basically, like, if based on some of the guys they had out there, like, what more could you expect than them giving up, uh, I guess, 27 points or whatever it was technically because the Cowboys scored on a on a strip sack. Um, and, and, like, the thesis around it, like, was centered around Ryan Lewis, who is their starting, like, their clear-cut number two starting cornerback, which is insane when you think, number one, that he wasn't even with the team a little over a month ago. Number two, he's been with, he's been on seven rosters in three years and he's only 26 years old um this dude has just bounced right he's been on three teams since the start of this offseason uh and he's the clear-cut starting number two cornerback for the giants right now for now at least you know they've they've shuffled through Corey ballantyne and isaac Yadam, and they have a guy named madre harper who i'd never heard of until they claimed him off uh the Ra- raiders practice squad recently so I mean, and that's a complicated position. Obviously, I, they deserve criticism, certainly. But, you know, they expected to have DeAndre Baker there. They expected to have Sam Beal, and they lost both of those guys. And so there was basically they had James Bradbury and then all the, the schlock that they're putting out there. And it, it's and at, at the end of the day, Ryan Lewis was the one covering Michael Gallup on the on the game-ending reception, essentially. It was, it was an amazing catch. I don't think Ryan Lewis could have done anything differently necessarily but the fact that he was the one that had to be there kind of said everything about what happened and and yeah like you said like even if they it it just says something that even if the Giants are playing their very best which they probably had their best game 
top to bottom, you know, look at how many points they scored, the turnovers they caused, all that. They, they were at their very best and they couldn't close it out because the talent deficit was just too great. And that, that was even with the Cowboys losing Dak Prescott and seemingly they were emotionally drained when they see their quarterback, you know, mess his ankle up the way he did. And Andy Dalton come in, who's a capable quarterback and all that. But it it, it just kind of just goes to show you that they're not going to win any games unless the other team just doesn't show up, essentially. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to luck into a lot of game, any wins that they have. And, and, and they're going to have to hope they play their best against, you know, bad teams. And they're playing a bad team on Sunday. So uh, that's sort of where they're at right now. Yeah, and I, I guess coming out of the game, I think one of the biggest takeaways I had that's not maybe the same as we've had every week um, is something that you and I have pretty deeply researched. We talked to a bunch of people and around the league and some experts and former Giants and all that about Andrew Thomas. Um, I think it's reached the stage where it's fair to be concerned. I, it, it's compli- It's another complicated discussion just because there, it was a weird offseason. Uh, offensive linemen, I think, in particular need that. But then at the same time, you're looking at you know, the other rookie offensive linemen that were drafted around the same time, Mekhi Becton, Tristan Wirfs, and Dredrick Wills. They all have been p- quite good for their teams. And Andrew Thomas leads the NFL in pressures given up, according to Pro Football Focus, and it's like seven more than the next guy. He's one of the worst pass-blocking grades. He has some of the worst pass-blocking efficiency. Like, just top to bottom, he's been miserable over the last few weeks. And he was particularly bad this last week. He, I think he gave up nine pressures in, in a single game, which is really bad. And, you know, this this – this uh, this team, these this fan base is probably having some PTSD about Eric Flowers. I don't. I think Eric, Andrew Thomas probably has a better uh, head on his shoulders. I think the coaching staff likes how hard he works and how much he wants to get better. But, um, you know, th- th- he's not good, and it doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help the rest of the offensive line is bad. But he's kind of the guy they need to be their like cornerstone going forward. The the other four guys, they wouldn't be surprised me if none of them were starting on this team two years from now. But they need Andrew Thomas to be that guy two years from now. Yeah, I mean that when you invest a number four overall pick in the left tackle, that's what you're expecting, and um, you know he hasn't lived up to it so far. And I think we talked to some guys, um, some experts about this topic, and we'll have a story about it later in the week. And uh, you know, one one thing one guy we talked to said is, you know, look, he, I, I'm more surprised he's talking about himself that these other offensive tackles as rookies are playing well as opposed to uh, Thomas not playing well. You know. Um, he expected all these guys to struggle, and uh, and it's not really surprising to a lot of people that Thomas is struggling, considering the lack of practice time and all that. Another thing to consider is, you know, Andrew Thomas playing next to Will Hernandez and uh, and, and Nick Gates, and um, you're talking about an inexperienced center who's not really probably doing a lot to help that line. And um, Will Hernandez is probably a middle middle of the road guard. Um, who's still young and maybe doesn't recognize things as well as a veteran guard would to help out uh, a rookie left tackle. So a lot of things working against Andrew Thomas. Um, He certainly has the athleticism and uh, the physical tools to be a really good left tackle, but a lot of guys have those tools and can't put it together. So Let's see if he's, you know, more coachable than Eric Flowers. I think we, the guys we talked to don't think he's going to go down that road in terms of being a bust. But there's a lot, a lot of middle ground between, you know, being that as bad as Eric Flowers was and and being, say, you know, Orlando Pace or something like that. Yeah, um, and and it seems like a lot of the questions just from talking to you know these people is a lot of the stuff that were questions that he had like coming out of college. It was stuff that like he, it was his hand placement. It was you know, oversetting on, on the outside and guys are, you know, they're, they're, 
in the NFL, you can't make those mistakes and leave an opening because he's playing against such good defensive ends that they capitalize. And he was able to make those mistakes in college and compensate because he was stronger than everybody else or whatever. But he can't really do that here. And 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 then, I mean, on top of that, you know, you, you have Cam Fleming on the other side who had a really bad game as well. And I, I think I had someone phrase it as they're the worst tackle tandem in the NFL based on how they've played these five weeks. And, you know, it will it'll come up every week until Dave Gettleman ultimately loses his job. But the offensive line was kind of what his the thing he promoted himself as with. It was the whole idea of hog mollies and be- beating beating people old school and in the trenches. And he was he was supposed to build his whole brand on you know tough football, and you do that by getting guys who can block and guys on the defensive line who can rush the passer. And they haven't really gotten either of those. And in particular, his failures to find offensive linemen, especially if Thomas winds up not being good, while these other three guys that he passed up on wind up being really good then it's just another reflection of all the different ways he's he's messed this roster building up i think you remember if you think back to the draft i mean these guys were fairly evenly regarded i think yeah. you think of wills and Worfs and becton and and thomas and um the giants had their pick of them at four and they go with thomas which maybe surprised some people but then, then i think if you looked at it you know objectively say all right well i could see see how that would work but you know to act definitively like this guy was the best of the four just because the giants liked him the best uh i don't think that should be a definitive indicator of a guy uh <laughs> being a great player if you you know if you look at what dave gettleman's done the talent talent evaluation wise so um maybe he will be maybe he won't be the, the you know this offensive line has been a problem for years for the giants and it continues to be and it's like you said it's just all the more highlighted by the fact that Dave Gettleman came in promising he would fix something that remains a disaster yeah and it's not like it's going to get any easier you know they play a lot of teams with talented pass rushers especially this week which I'm sure we'll get into later um and so if that doesn't get like that's where you can't you can't like hide that you know you can't hide a bad offensive line you you can hide bad receivers maybe or a bad running back or you know a bad secondary you do by blitzing a lot or something you try being creative but you can't like scheme around a bad offensive line especially when even like your tight end can't block an Evan Ingram and you know your running backs can't really block all that well either so they don't really have an option to help Daniel Jones out which is why it's kind of like impacting the evaluation of Daniel um he's still again it's like the same stuff every week he shows flashes of like talent he doesn't really have that much time he maybe holds on to the ball too much he turned the ball over again um it's all the same stuff but you know then at the same time this offensive line is just not helping him but um one more the i guess the news coming out of the last game would be that lorenzo carter uh ruptured his achilles and will miss the rest of the season uh it's a it's a pretty big loss for them because he slowed down a little bit the last couple games but he was looking really good to start out he's the guy in theory that should be their best pass rusher he's their most talented one they were really hoping for this to be his breakout season now they lose him on top of o'shane zimenez being on ir um, and so now you're down to Marcus Golden, who they were, didn't even want to play until last week. And uh, Kyler Fackrell, who had a pick six and and has you know actually been better than I expected. But I, I don't know if you want him to be a full-time guy. So you only have those two guys. And then you have a couple of rookies in Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown who haven't played a single NFL defensive snap. Um, and there were six and seventh round picks for a reason. So, I mean, I, what, what, what's your level of concern with this pass rush, which already wasn't that good? Yeah, pretty high, uh, pretty high. And uh, this was going to be the year for Carter to, to break out. And, um, you know, this is, a, this is a, a huge blow for him. He's going to the final year of his contract next year, and he doesn't have the fifth-year option, uh, fifth, fifth option thing available to him for his fifth year because he was a third-round pick. So um, this, is, this is a tough 
tough break for him. I mean, he was like you said, he was playing well, and they the Giants needed an edge rush presence that they haven't had in years. Um, so now they're now they're looking at again scraping the bottom of the barrel with with what they have in terms of secondary options and and Zimenez, you know, potentially coming back from that shoulder fairly soon here, but. You know, everyone in the organization knows what what a loss Lorenzo Carter is, not just for this team, but for him personally. Um, and and Joe Judge are offering thoughts and prayers uh, this week uh, with with Lorenzo Carter going out, and and certainly uh, that's going to be on the minds of a lot of Giants fans throughout the rest of the season here, as uh, as they look at what whether this pass rush can produce, and you really wonder if they can. And it, and it's it really stinks for him because he he had kind of been underwhelming the first two years of his career, but then you look at this guy and see he's got all these physical tools. He's so long, he's so fast. And maybe this year he puts it together and he had kind of shown those signs and and now goes into next year with with, with still more question marks and the jury's still out on him. Yeah, and this kind of goes this discussion kind of goes back to the point we talked about earlier with the defense. You know, Dave Gettleman left this roster with like such little room for error that they almost they couldn't afford to lose just about any of their key players, but especially at like certain positions. And now they've you know, they've lost, you know, they lost Saquon Barkley. They lost, they had Sterling Shepard's been out. He's eligible to come back. I don't think he's going to come back this week yet. Um, and they didn't add any depth at wide receiver. They lost Xavier McKinney, which forced him to go and pay Logan Ryan, which has worked out, but like that wasn't in the plans. Um, you know, Lorenzo Carter's out. Zyman is out. Sam Beal opted out. DeAndre Baker got arrested. David Mayo's been out. So they've had to play a seventh round pick and, and a Devontae Downs at linebacker and, and even Nate, weirdly, they kind of miss Nate Solder because that at least gives you another option if you need a bench in Andrew Thomas or a Camp Fleming. Uh, he probably would have started, and maybe Andrew Thomas starts out his career at right tackle if Solder is still here. Solder was obviously very bad last year. I don't even know if he was as bad as Thomas has been the last few weeks. So, I mean, like I, I wrote, I wrote something earlier this week, just like kind of ranking the guys that they missed the most. It, I think they miss all of them, not equally, but pretty significantly. And. I don't know. They they just have so many holes in this roster that even with those guys on this team, I don't know how much better things will be. But he, I don't know. You think if they have a Saquon Barkley in here still, if they have a Xavier McKinney, maybe they're able to be a little more flexible in what they do. Yeah, and the losses have all been major losses for a team yeah. that's already thin on talent. For a team that you know you look at and, and say they they probably didn't improve that much from last year in terms of what they added um, in the draft and free agency. And they were still rebuilding. Um, but you took a team that was bad last year that didn't improve a ton. And then you chop off Saquon Barkley. And, and like a, you said, Nate Solder, who wasn't good, but would have been probably a better right, right tackle option than Camp Fleming. So, you know, it would have been a Solder um, a Thomas pairing and tackling Cam Fleming would be, you know, on the bench as he should be. So, um, so you lose Solder and, 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 and Barkley and Xavier McKinney, which, you know, there was some unknown there, but he had shown some potential and then Carter. And so, I mean, these are beginning to really add up and, 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 and Beal or Baker and Baker both would have, you know, for all the shortcomings of DeAndre Baker, you got to think he's better than Ryan Lewis, right? I mean, so, yeah. um, so th- it's beginning to pile up for a team that had a small margin for error, as we said. And so, this is why people look at this team and wonder, you know, are they going to win one game, two games, no games? I, I don't think they go on sixteen, um, but you know, this could be a three-win ceiling team. Yeah, and I guess if you want to look at the glass half full. In a way, I mean, this this team isn't going to make the playoffs anyway. So I guess in theory, the positive part of this is you're getting a lot of young guys onto the field. Um, they're you know they're getting actual experience. I think that'll be valuable for a guy like Cam Brown. And you know, I don't I don't know these cornerbacks. I would imagine a lot of them aren't going to be here next year. But 
I guess at, at the very least, you're getting some playing time for these guys. And I mean, and then on the flip side, you know, the 2019 class uh, is starting to look quite disappointing. You know, Julian Love didn't even play a single defensive snap last week. He was wow. expected to be a starter this year. Um, I mean, Daniel Jones, you know, there's still questions about what he's going to be. Um, Dexter Lawrence looks pretty good. DeAndre Baker's not on this team anymore, as you well know. Um, O'Shane Zimenez, I don't think he's really shown them all that much yet. So it's like it's another draft class, failed draft class from Dave Gettleman. It seems pretty obvious to see. And so, it, like, I, I, on one hand, like I said, these young guys are getting some playing time. You're going to see what they have. But at the same time, I don't know if any of these guys are even good enough to be on the team when the next general manager comes in. Like, it, it's going to be very interesting to see whoever they find to take this job and if they find this job to be appealing, which in some ways it is, in a lot of ways it isn't because they don't have as much cap space as you think they do. And they only have five draft picks coming up and you have to decide if you like Daniel Jones or not. And, and you have to decide if you want to pay Saquon Barkley. So like, there's like a lot of pros and cons to this job. So I'm, I'm I, th- that just all makes me think like, how, who's even going to be here a year from now? Like this, this, whoever comes in is going to have to blow this roster up. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right, Zach. I mean, they, they are going to have to blow it up. Um, whoever, whoever comes in, as the next uh, as the next GM because this team is not close to making it to the playoffs. They're not close to being a contender, just like the Jets. There's a lot of work here, and the big decision starts at quarterback. Who's your quarterback? Um, is Daniel Jones that guy? And that's that's the start of it. But there's so many other issues for this team right now. Whether it's uh, you know a cornerback or edge rusher or basically every position on the offensive line, as you said, except for left tackle. So it's a it's a big uh, big order. It's a tall order for whoever the next GM is for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, this the, the, all, the Dave Gettleman talk, I mean, it made me think of, uh, so today, uh, Ron Rivera spoke with media, and I, I had totally forgotten, like, the whole idea that, you know, like, Ron Rivera, before, um, like, the interview process started, it seemed like he was the guy everybody thought the Giants would pursue, and then Washington didn't really get the, give the Giants the chance, he kind of went to, he went to Washington, they, like, heavily recruited him, and they hired him before Dave could even interview him. Um, Dave obviously has history with Ron Rivera from their time in Carolina. So I, I only say I thought of that because I'm just thinking of like an alternate, what an alternate future where Ron Rivera is their head coach looks like because he's obviously such a respected guy. He would have walked in here. He wouldn't have done all the weird stuff that Joe Judge did, although I don't know if Ron Rivera being here would have changed that record or anything. But um, maybe he can he, he would have been able to get to Dave Gettleman to listen to him a little better considering their history of success together. I don't, I don't know. Like when, when this process started, like Ron Rivera was an appealing idea, right? Yeah. I mean, but you, you got to remember that Washington fired uh, Jay Gruden during the year last year. Yeah. And so that gave ahead of it. those guys a head start on the decision-making process because Ron Rivera was, was available mid season. So it was really a perfect storm for Washington making that move when they did. And, um, you know, the Giants went the traditional route with firing Pat Shermer after the season. And you look at, you know, why and that's that's the reason why you would fire a coach midseason. Um, you look, look at why, why would that why would the Jets fire Adam Gase, for instance? But there's not a situation like that where there's a Ron Rivera out there this year. Right? Yeah. I don't think I don't think the Jets are going to fire Adam Gase so they can get in line first for Dan Quinn or Bill O'Brien. You know, that's not yeah. happening. So I mean, that would be a very Jets thing to hire one of those guys, though. It would, wouldn't it? Uh, so, <laughs> I, I, I think you know the, the Ron Rivera situation. Maybe they'd have a couple more wins, but the bottom line is, you know, the talent base wasn't really there. Um, it's not like they could have necessarily done anything this off season to, to, to get there quickly. 
Um, so this was still going to be a rebuilding year. Um, and ultimately, I don't know how much Joe Judge, Judge, Joe Judge is to blame for, for what's yeah. happened in terms of our That's losses. Um, the other te- teams played hard for him, but ultimately it comes down to results. And no, this is not a results year. Um, if they lose a lot, he's not going to lose his job. But there needs to start being some results next year in terms of tangible progress. I do wonder, you know, I, I agree that Joe Judge both deserves more time and he'll almost definitely get it. But like, at what point does like if they go one in fifteen, like it, that's a worst case scenario. I don't know if they actually will. I mean, it's possible, certainly, I guess. But like, if they go one fifteen, they fire the GM. What if the new GM comes in and is like, I don't want anybody that's here from a one in fifteen team. <laughs> like what? Like I mean, you saw that with the Cardinals. They fired the coach after one year. And they got a new quarterback. Like if you, if what if, at, like you have, you can't at least you can't rule that out completely, right? Yeah, I mean you got to remember in Arizona, Steve Kime was there though. Yeah, um, that's a good and, point. And and it wasn't like there was an incoming GM, and that this is always the the rub with with bad teams getting their <laughs> coach and GM on a different timeline. And yeah, it happened with the Jets in 2013 with John Edzik and Rex Ryan, and and it happened uh, with the Jets again in 2019 with with uh, Mike McCagnan and Adam Gase. And I, everyone knows how horribly that worked out. So it's better to, to make a decision early than, um, than later. And, and John Mara has recognized that, but that said that he's recognized that through some of the, the, the poor decisions he's made by waiting around on Eli Manning on Tom Coughlin and yeah. Jerry Reese, uh, you know, big, big, big decision on, yeah. that he kicked the can down the road on. So uh, I don't, that said, I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah. Any way that Joe Judge, you know, unless he does something where he gets arrested or something like this, <laughs> but just in terms of like, you know, football failures. Yeah, I, I think that you know this is a team that contended last week in Dallas, and I'm, yeah. it doesn't really matter, I guess, where the game is on the road because there's no crowd, but that they contended against a team that was superior. There was a small crowd, but yeah, it's not the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cowboys are superior to the Giants, yeah. even without Dak Prescott playing. So. um I think there's some things to be encouraged about by how they contended, but they, they still don't really know how to finish. And I know that's cliche, but I think there's probably some truth to it. I, I know the, the cliche is learning how to win or whatever, but it's more about like learning how to finish, I think, and learning how to play well in these key moments in the game. Cause not every moment in the game is created equal. I know judge Joe judge tried to sell that, but that's not true. You know, yeah. <laughs> there are critical moments in a close game where the margin for error is a lot smaller that you, you cannot screw up. And the giants did. Um, and until they get that right, they're going to continue losing a lot of games. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking it's, it's such an interesting thing with Joe judge. Um, it's almost ingenious of the way he, you know, he gave the play calling on defense and offense to somebody else because we're sitting here, they're zero and five. And we're like, yeah, he seems like he's done a pretty good job because we don't, there's nothing, all we can base it on is their effort essentially. So, you know, we right. look at, I mean, Patrick Graham's getting a lot of much due praise because he has almost nothing to work with. And he's had the defense playing quite well. If you look at all the DVOA metrics, they're like in the middle of the league, which for an O five team is kind of strange, especially when you look at all the rankings for the jets who are the only team most considered worse than the Giants. And they're close to last place in just about every statistical category in a way that like, I don't even think is possible. Um, but like the, just the idea that Joe Judge, he's not getting off scot-free, certainly. I, I think he certainly deserves a lot of criticism for the way he handles certain things. But like he, he's he kind of like found the formula to avoid criticism in a way, especially as in his first year, whereas Jason Garrett is getting the blunt of the criticism, much deserved. Um, cause his, 
I mean, he, he was a little more creative in this last game. Maybe some of it had to do with the vengeance he had on his mind going against the Cowboys. They had a few trick plays, which were negated by penalties. That that fake field goal is uh, – I'm a fake punt, I'm sorry, was really like smartly drawn up. It, it had Evan Ingram acting like he was walking off the field, and, and then he just lined up, and the Cowboys didn't know he was there, and he was wide open, and Riley Dixon completed it, and then Cam Fleming had illegal shifting. So that kind of is a bad team in a nutshell right there. Yeah, but, that was a cool play. I mean, that was a cool. I mean, presume that was Joe Judge, but that was that was a cool play there. Yeah, but but ultimately, like Jason Garrett, still they're not throwing the ball down the field. Oh. Um, the offensive line has gotten no better. They're, he's not figuring out ways to scheme the wide receivers open. Good uh, play callers can do that to a certain extent, and so he he continues to just be like just a bland, unimpressive play caller. And uh, again, like I I don't really know what he brings to the table here. But at the same time, I don't know if you want to fire him because you don't want to keep changing the scheme up on Daniel Jones. A lot of big decisions to make and a lot of ripple effects from those decisions as, as you look at it. I mean, it's no, no, not one of these decisions will go without, you know, a domino effect to the others, right? If you change the offensive coordinator, um, you know, what impact does that have on Daniel Jones? And is he even your quarterback yeah. uh, next year? So, like, there's some enormous big picture decisions coming down the road here for the Giants. Um, if especially if they continue to lose and, and and not show any progress, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the the path for Joe Judge, I guess, I guess that's the key: be a special teams coordinator who's well regarded, and then you can become one of these CEO type head coaches. Um, but um, you know, I, I think the the jury's still out on Joe Judge. I, it's absolutely asinine for to I mean for anyone that could say that Joe Judge is good right now. You know that he's this good. There's no way of knowing this. Yeah, come on. Like that is so insane. Like, what are you talking about? Like, um, I mean, so a, a lot of praise he keeps getting is because he does these like so he does these X's and O's um, videos each week uh, where he like breaks down a couple plays and he's he's obviously I mean you've talked to him he's a smart guy he knows football but you would expect that for any coach so I don't know if that deserves a level of you know attention that it's been I getting mean, necessarily. What, what, what do you think this guy's gonna be a high school dropout? Like, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know Pat Shermer was the most boring person who ever sp- spoke, but like, it, just because he's he's less boring than Pat Shermer doesn't mean he's gonna be an amazing coach either. Right, and just because he knows X's and O's it doesn't mean he can coach in the moment. It doesn't mean he can do all these other intangible things that's required of running a program in the NFL. They can evaluate talent. Yeah. Right. I mean, I would bet you like a high school coach could get up there and do those X's and O's things with, you know, in a taped setting. First of all, kind of reminds me of the way everybody went crazy when Sean McVay had like this crazy recall, like, you know, that, that whole thing where he, he knew every, 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 every player on the other team or whatever, like off the top of his head. And it was like this viral moment. Like what, why does that matter? All right, then go count cards then, you know? If that yeah, happens. I mean, seriously. <laughs> but, but, but look, I mean, you can have that and be a good head coach. Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately, that's not the be-all, end-all determining factor of whether you're a good head coach. And just, just like Joe Judge, I mean, it, 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 those dopey little videos are a very small part of that. Um, and you had a good tweet, a little sad face that he had. <laughs> it was amazing. I turned that video on. And he was like, he was actually, diagram- it's ironic because he was he was like diagramming the play where Kyler Fackrell had the pick six. And he like circles two guys and then he does like a line, like a curved line, like showing something. And it, just, it was, a, it was a sad face. And I was like, all right, well, I'm tweeting this out. I can't, I can't not do that. <laughs> that is definitely, that is irony right there. Good. Yeah. It's just so like, it's like a cry for help or something. I mean, it's not actually, but that just like made me laugh so hard. Um, But 
But yeah, I mean, jumping off that, I guess, I mean, I, so the joke is that that's the state of the Giants right now, the sad face. Um, this week, let's look ahead a little bit. Uh, they got Washington coming into MetLife on Sunday. They're going back home. Still no fans in New Jersey. It seems like there might be fans in Philadelphia going forward, actually, like 7,000 or something. Not like that matters that much. Um, they do play in Philadelphia next week on Thursday, though, so short week. But so Sunday they play Washington. The Giants are actually favored in this game. Probably the only game they'll be favored in all year, I would say. Um, unless they really turn things around, which oh, we're both they play Washington again, maybe. Yeah, but that'll be on, on the road. But I, I guess I don't know how much, that, but that'll probably be an even one or something like that. Yeah. But uh, so they're favored. And I think that has a lot of like Giants fans kind of just assuming this is going to be all right. We're going to win this one and and then we'll we'll hopefully upset somebody else. But I, I, I don't think it's that simple. This team isn't good enough to just look at a game and say we are going to win this one, especially when you look at the red. I almost did it right there. I almost did it. The Washington football team, the football very team, close. very close. I said team, like the first like team. Yeah. Yeah. The team. Yeah. I don't So are they the football team or the, like, what's the, is, I guess, Washington, the football I just team. Call them Washington. I've always called them Washington. Yeah, I've yeah. never used the nickname. But You're a better man than me. Um, before and Washington now, <laughs> but so their strength also, you know, coagulates with the Giants' biggest weakness, which is their pass rush. Um, is Chase Young is just, he's a star already. He's super athletic. Um, Joe Judge spent a lot of time raving about him today when I asked him about him, and he was just talking about how he's capable of dropping back into coverage, and you know, double teams kind of even don't even stop him because he's so athletic that he can like he gets by them pretty quickly. And then on top of the Amante Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, and they have some good defensive tackles too. So you have all these guys going against a struggling Andrew Thomas, Nick Gates going against a talented interior, and Camp Fleming on the other side. So Daniel Jones is going to be running for his life. If you looked at Eagles Week One, they were missing a couple guys. I think they gave up something like 10 sacks. It was like some insane number. Uh, and, that, and they lost to Washington that day. And the Eagles are more talented than the Giants top to bottom, without question. So, you know, you have that to deal with. You know, on the other side, Washington's offense isn't that scary, especially if Kyle Allen is their quarterback, which it sounds like he will be. Um, they have Terry McLaurin, who's really fast. Uh, James Bradbury, you'd think, could do a pretty good job on him. There's not a lot of guys that scare you. But that defense is has some talent on it. And the Giants offense has struggled to score. And if Sterling Shepard's still not back and Evan Ingram still is just doing nothing, like I got like, there's certainly a chance that the Washington wins this game. Like I, I wouldn't rule that out. Certainly. Absolutely. Uh, and like you said, it's, it's as, as the football guys like to say, strength versus strength, you know, this is uh this is strength versus weakness. So <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't bode well for the giants, you know, like you said. So, um, I think the Giants win, but I think it'll be close and that they have to keep it low scoring. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they need Daniel Jones to have the big breakout game that he hasn't yet. He, he had a better games than his first like three games as a quarterback in the NFL last year than he's had this year. And um, if he was ever going to come out and, and kind of, you know, prove to everybody that he deserves to be the guy, it, ha- it just has to be this week. He can't don't turn the ball over and throw a couple touchdown passes. The dude has no touchdown passes since week one. I think he's on pace for six for the entire season, which I can't imagine if you look at the history of the NFL, how many, besides like in the 30s and 40s where the numbers are like so weird or whatever, where a guy starts 16 games and gets 10 touchdown passes or less. I I would imagine it doesn't finish out that way, but I mean, who knows? Five games in, he has two. Like I I, I don't, at some point, some, the other shoe's got to drop, right? Yeah, I mean, at some point there has to be progress. Uh, I don't think he's going to get benched this year. You know, I don't think that the idea of teaching him a lesson through benching him is, is has any merit whatsoever. So, um, 
they have Cole McCoy. It's not like Cole McCoy is going to make a difference. Yeah. So give the guy the year, let him play it out, and hope the line gets better and, and hope he can kind of gel with some of the skill position players and see, see what he does. So what, what what do you think ultimately happens on Sunday? I was gonna, I'm looking at my pick. Right, I did pick the Giants. I picked them to win 17-14. I think uh, a close, ugly win will um, will work in their favor, and their defense needs to win this game for them, basically. Yeah, I, I haven't done my actual prediction yet because I'm I'm doing the picks post anyway, so I can take my time with it. But I think I'm gonna have them something like winning twenty to seventeen or sixteen or something like that. So, so what if they do go? If they do lose this game and they're zero and six, like then what do you think about what this team is and what it needs to do? Like at that point, does Dave Gettleman does the idea of firing in midseason become more tangible in your mind? We talked about this a little bit, I think, last time about, and then I wrote a thing about firing him before the trade deadline. The deadline which, yeah. uh, we kind of came up with that idea while we were talking about it last week. But I was uh, first under the impression the trade deadline was the 29th of October. It's actually the third of of November. So that's election the day, day. yeah, election day, and the Giants have um, have have an extra game before then than most teams because they play on Monday night. Uh, well, that's not right. I mean, they, they, so they play the day before, so they don't have an extra game. They play Monday night in the second. Um, but so the Giants play three three more games from now until then. So if you're looking at a team that's three and five, which it seems unlikely because you got to beat Washington, the Eagles, and the Bucks, I don't see that happening. There's no yeah. way they're going to be buyers at the deadline, even if they win three straight games. Um, they're going to be sellers no matter what. I don't, I don't know what firing the GM midseason would really accomplish. Um, I, you know, I wrote about it fairly in depth in that, in that thing. I think we talked about it a little bit. Yeah. I, I guess unless they wanted to hire the Falcons GM would be the only reason. Right. The mid season GM hire, right. Would yeah, just... I mean, it'd be an interesting strategy if you want, if like, if they really liked him, then I guess why not? I'm, I don't know if he's the right hire. Um, no, yeah, I'm sure but... yeah, he deserves a look, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But he's not a guy you hire without talking to anybody. No, no. Or, or I guess if you really liked Lewis Riddick again or so, like something like that, but I, right. I, that, that's not going to happen is the point. No, and I think Dave Gettleman gets the year, and but it's just another nail in his coffin. If if that's the, if that if this happens, if another loss happens to a bad team, and they go into Philadelphia on a short week, remember the game next next week is uh, is Thursday night on the twenty second in Philly. So, um, short week game chance for zero and six to turn into zero and seven, and then perhaps zero and eight before uh, before the trade deadline on the third. Um, I look. I, I, this is the game the Giants have to win. I just don't. I don't see how they win in Philly on a short week. I don't see how they beat Tom Brady. Maybe they turn around on the eighth of November on a somewhat short week and, and win in Washington. Um, but this is this is. The, I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule: Washington, the Bengals. Um, those are the game. I mean, that's it. That's it. I mean, there's yeah. three games left, including this one Sunday, that you look at it and say, you know, the Giants have a good chance to win that game. The rest of it, you know, they need everything to break their way. So, um, Dave Gettleman's a goner, and he should be. But I don't know what firing in midseason is going to accomplish. That so that I I only bring this up because I found it so funny. Um, so we, you and I, you and I have talked about Dave Gettleman and the poor job he's done pretty much every week because I think it deserves to be talked about. And uh, so I, I I'll occasionally get reader emails from people who are still out there that support Dave Gettleman. As of the Giants GM, and I, and I got this one where he he the guy said he he sees it as I have a personal vendetta against him, which I don't. I actually think Dave Gettleman's a good man. I've I've talked to him personally in a lot of ways, but um he he thinks I have something personally against him. And he said somebody in his family turned to him and said that 
it, it's it's as if Dave Gettleman slapped Zach's mama or something. <laughs> <laughs> I told you you should have told your mom that, but you said it would just confuse well, she, her. So I, so I forgot. So my mom, this is a little inside the Rosenblatt family here. My mom has like alerts on all my tweets, actually. <laughs> Um, okay. or actually, no, I didn't tweet it. It was, she follows me on Instagram actually is what it is. The tweet thing is annoying. Cause then I can't make fun of her on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely easy to make fun of my parents, but, uh, yeah, I posted on Instagram. So she, she saw it and she was, she actually was cracking up. I didn't expect that, <laughs> but it just keep those emails coming. Cause they, I mean, I, I prefer the nice ones obviously, but the, when, when people get so like personally offended by me having like an opinion about how poor of a job the GM clearly has done. If you just look at their record over the last three years and this year, oh, it's yeah. indefensible. No one's yeah. no one's saying he's a bad more, more than anybody on this entire organization. Dave Gettleman deserves blame. It's it, exactly. I don't yeah. see any, how anyone could think otherwise. I mean, he's his job is to build the roster and add talent. No one's saying he's a bad guy. You know, I think he's a nice enough guy from my dealings with him, and he's you know amusing, funny quote. Um, and I think it would be. Um, you know, pretty neat if 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 this if he was had been able to put this together, well, what kind of spotlight that would put on him is you know, or he's a character. I mean, you you love covering those type of characters. Um, he's certainly not the bland type uh, of of NFL GM and head coach that you see so often. Um, you know, he's guy's got a personality. He's a fun guy to cover in that regard because he, and he says stuff too. So he says what he's thinking, which is pretty rare for GMs who normally keep everything close to the vest. Oh yeah. He, he's very blunt. Um, well, and, it, and I think that's part of why he avoids talking to us whenever possible publicly, because he's like gotten into, you know, he, he'll say something and it goes viral because of how ridiculous it is. Oh and, yeah. He can't keep his mouth shut, which yeah. is great. We love it. I mean, I mean he's never going to live down the moment where he made fun of everybody when they were criticizing him for Saquon Barkley and he did the keyboard thing like that's gonna be the photo (laughs) the day he's fired on a lot of in a lot of places oh yeah that's that's like a forever gif uh, moment so um not yeah look it's nothing personal but I mean you have to be a fool to to say the guy's done a good job yes exactly like I we wouldn't be doing our job if we just pretend to like it was all sunshine and rainbows for the Giants right now because it's not I don't see how anyone can look at the record under Dave Gettleman and think that it is. I think the winning percentage is like 243 or something like that. And I, and I bring that up in the context of, and I'll just uh, quickly promote a little thing I have coming later this week, comparing the Giants GM opening to the Texans opening and the Falcons yeah. opening. So, so check that out. Some interesting stuff about um, cap space and picks ahead and the composition of the roster. I mean, if you pay a little bit of attention to the NFL, you know how the Giants roster compares to even the Falcons roster yeah. and certainly the Texans. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be the interesting thing, too. I mean, it, I think both of us kind of think there's a decent chance that Kevin Abrams gets very serious consideration and he's already in the organization. So in that sense, they're not competing with anybody if he's the guy. And I think we both don't think that would be the right move because then you're sticking with your family kind of thing. Um, but... It is. They're going to have to stack up against these other teams. There are going to be other teams probably that the job, the GM job opens up. The Jets actually won't. Cause I think. I mean, you would know better than me, but Joe Douglas, I think, is going to get more time because he hasn't. It's not even his team essentially. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the notion my, that Joe Douglas is on the hot seat is uh, asinine. I mean, like Howie Roseman, I don't see Jeff Lurie ever firing him. Um, Washington that just hired their whole complete staff. So like all, all the teams at the very bottom are probably going to stick with who they have. But you know, a team like. I mean, the Falcons already already did it, so they can already start doing their legwork. And the Texans have Deshaun Watson, which ultimately, if you have the quarterback, then your job is more appealing. No matter how many draft picks you have, they have the guy already. So 
they're, I'm very interested to see like what other jobs open up and how the Jaguars could. I think that that would Jaguars, be. Yeah. I mean, and if you like Minshew and they have a lot of draft picks and a lot of cap space coming up or no, they don't have cap space, but a lot of draft picks. So uh, the Giants don't have like the assets that would appeal unless the GM, you know, so if the Giants get the number one pick, then it becomes a very appealing job because then you can come in and take Trevor Lawrence. Um, if they don't get the number one pick, then you have to decide, okay, do I like Daniel Jones? And if I don't like Daniel Jones, why would I take this job? Because then you're still building from the beginning because you have to find a quarterback and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that, and then will ownership even let you draft a quarterback? Yep. So you, no matter where the Giants yeah, How much pick. control do you have in the end? Yeah. Right. I mean, John Maris ha- has had a strong hand here. Is he going to let Is he going to let the whoever the GM give up on Daniel Jones? Daniel Jones, you know, if he just completely goes in the toilet, I mean, it makes the decision easier. But if he, if he putters through the end of the year, ups and downs, the whole thing, Giants pick second or first or – um, the decision really is if they pick first. So yeah. I, the bottom line is if they pick first, they're going to be so bad and he's going to be so bad that maybe that's, yeah, that's, kind of, that's kind of why the discussion about Trevor Lawrence almost isn't a discussion. It's just if they have first, they're going to pick them. If they don't have first, they're not going to have a chance to anyway. Right. And they're not going to trade up. So it, it's an interesting what about, you know, or not really what about what if uh, here is we're, you know, in the middle of October. So we got. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you cover the Giants or Jets, I'm sure you, I mean, I more covered than half a year to the year. draft. It's more you're than used half a year. Looking ahead to the draft is all you got. Um, whereas the Eagles, they start off slow, and you're like, all right, the season's over, and then they win at the end of the year, and you go to the playoffs and all that, and that's probably what'll happen for them again. So this has definitely been an adjustment for me, just like knowing that the playoffs aren't even a possibility, really. Yeah, I mean, weren't even a possibility at zero and three, really, and always certainly zero and four. Sealed. I mean, I didn't think it was a possibility at. Oh and oh, to be no, honest. No, no, <laughs> and, and you know that's that. Yeah, I, I think that there are some. Uh, if you look at this this roster, I mean, there were certainly storylines to consider and say, you know, hey, would this young guy play well or that young guy play well? And so far, uh, we've, we're writing about how those young guys aren't playing well. Whether it's yeah, Thomas think, or Daniel Jones, I think Matt Matt Lombardo and I before the season, one of the things was like they have a lot of like if this guy does this, if this guy does this, and if this guy does this, but if also this guy does this, like they there there was like ten different ways that they needed everything to go right for them to actually win. And most of those things have not gone right. So, um, Absolutely. And uh, there's still guys worth monitoring on, the, on this team um, yeah. that are worth caring about the team for. I mean, even though the results necessarily don't matter. And Jones certainly at the top of the list and Thomas. And um, not a lot, though. I mean, there's not a lot of foundational pieces here if you look up and down the roster in terms of guys who are healthy. Um, this would have been a huge year for Saquon Barkley, but um, didn't work out for him. And it went, you know, Xavier McKinney looks like probably a lost year for him. Um, but, you know, th- so the more you look at it, the more you say, you know, there aren't guys who are necessarily, as going back to what we said earlier, are going to be here long term. Yep. Um, on that note, I, th- I think we can wrap it up here. Um, as always, make sure you guys are subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already on our text messaging service giants extra daryl and i have been firing away a lot of messages on there that you're not really going to get from twitter or even some of our stories we, we kind of break stuff there before it gets to the internet uh, when we can so that's at the nj.com slash text i think you get a two-week trial if you sign up um and i recommend that and yeah uh, leave us some reviews and uh, we'll check the reviews and if you guys leave us any we'll read them on the next episode um we'll wrap up on that note and uh thanks for listening guys